What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for wrapping up your week with us. This is your Friday edition of Fantasy MLB Today. We are a Sports Ethos presentation, of course, and I'm your host, Joe Orico. You can find me on Twitter at JoeOrico99 and also at EthosFantasyBB. I've been saying it for months and months to go and follow Ethos Fantasy BB, and there's been a reason for that. Our draft guide, if you guys have missed out on these last couple weeks' worth of episodes, our draft guide has been launched, and there are more than 20 articles available on the website at sportsethos.com for you guys to check out, and all of those articles are linked at Ethos Fantasy BB. So please do go give it a follow. Go check out all the great work from all of our great writers. There is so much stuff to go and check out. I hope it gets you guys all ready for draft season. There's just there's sleepers, there's busts, there's different articles about decision matrix, whether you should pick player A or player B, similar style players, similar ADPs. There is dynasty content, there's dynasty rankings, there's just so much stuff for you guys to go and check out. I could spend the whole podcast just going through all the articles that the guys have put together and worked so hard on. So please do uh, go check out all their great work. Once again, at sportsethos.com and at ethosfantasybb on the Twitter now, today we are going to be taking a break from the team previews. We've been doing a lot of them, and we're just about completed now. We have, I think, seven teams left to do. Those will be done by next week. Uh, absolutely be done by next week. We're going to do a couple that will be joined together, a couple teams, and we might do one or two solo. Uh, but those are going to be completed next week, and then the last couple of weeks before the season will be all draft prep stuff. we got a couple of fun guests who will be coming on the show. We're going to do some ADP battles. We're going to talk projections. We're going to do all kinds of fun stuff. But today... We're going to be looking at a draft that I've been doing, and it's been almost two weeks now that we've been doing this draft. It's a slow draft. It is TGFBI. If you guys have seen, if you guys have been on Twitter, on Fantasy Baseball Twitter, or Baseball Twitter at all, really, you've probably seen a few of these draft boards with the TGFBI hashtag or at TGFBI there, linking the account to it. I'm going to talk about my team. We are just about done the draft. We're in round 29, but at this point, we are just talking about players who are going to be likely churned through your roster. Uh, so I want to talk about the guys who are the mainstays on my team, will hopefully be the mainstays on my team. We're going to go through my first 28 rounds of picks. The last two rounds will likely be just closer specs, uh, guys that I'm hoping will have a job a little bit later on. It's a 30-round draft. Um, there is fab throughout the season. You have $1,000 worth of fab to make pickups. There's once-a-week fab. And I'm probably going to use those last couple of picks on just really high upside players. Haven't really exactly figured out who I'm going to take. Now, the last player I took in round 28 was Ellie De La Cruz. We're going to get to him right at the end. But we'll start at the top here. I was picking from the 11th spot, and I took Shohei Otani. I didn't think he'd be available to me here. A couple of guys went ahead of him that I was a little bit surprised about. Jordan Alvarez went at 7. Bobby Witt at 9. Freddie Freeman at 10. I was very happy to get Shohei at 11 here. Typically, he's going in the top 10 picks. Now, I've talked about him at length this offseason. We talked about him at length yesterday because we did our Angels preview. You can use him as a pitcher or as a hitter. Every week, you get to decide which stats you would like to accrue. And for me, I, I just love the fact that, you know, let's say I strike out on a lot of my pitchers this season. You know, got a lot of the guys I take end up busting. They're not as good as I'm hoping for, whatever. Otani can be used as a starting pitcher, and that will supplement those stats. If my hitting sucks, if the guys that I took in my lineup are not up to scratch, Otani slots in as a pitcher or as a as a position player, excuse me. And that's where he will likely be most of the season. He'll be as a position player, but I do love that versatility of being able to use him either which way. It is a great backup plan, and of course, it's your first round pick, so maybe it's not a backup plan. It's kind of like the strategy you go into it with. But you do have that assurance on both sides of the ball that let's say your team doesn't pan out on one way or the other, you can use Otani either which way. In terms of what we're expecting out of Otani this season, it's really hard to to nail it down to just one particular you know thing because it's it's, it's there's a lot to go into the Otani evaluation. And we we did this yesterday, but I do think that Otani is probably a, a pretty sure bet to give you about 30 home runs. With the stolen base rules, some of the projections are calling for upwards of 20. The Bad X updated their stolen base projections. Derek Cardi added in the different new... Um, he, he trained the Bad X formula on the new rules, the shift restrictions, and the, the expanded bases, and the different pickoff rules. Shohei Otani is projected by Derek to steal 26 bases, hit 35 home runs, score 100 runs, have 90 RBIs, and bat 276. You know, that in and of itself is probably worth a first-round pick. It's very, very, very freaking close. And then when you factor in, you know, the fact that he was one of the best pitchers in baseball, he could have, you know, fairly easily in most years won the Cy Young with his stat line, a 233 ERA, 15 wins, incredible strikeout numbers, good walk rate as well. 
there's nothing not to like here about Otani in the first round. There is a little bit of risk, of course, with Otani, like we've talked about a lot. There is not maybe double the risk, but there is elevated risk when you have somebody who is playing on both sides of the ball. He could get hurt you know, in an at-bat, in the batting cages, doing whatever pregame batting drills they're doing. He could very easily, more likely to get injured as a pitcher as well. So there is that elevated risk. But in the first round here at pick 11, I couldn't really pass it up. In the second round, I went with Austin Riley. I was very happy to get him. My my first target here, and I mean, he's not my number one target for third baseman. That would obviously be Jose Ramirez, who went uh, third overall. <clears throat> but I wanted Manny Machado. I was hoping he'd come back to me. He got taken a couple picks prior, and I went with Austin Riley. Third base, of all the positions that I have looked at, we've looked at all the positions at this point, third base is the worst, in my opinion. It really, truly falls off horribly after the first seven, eight guys. And then you're you're stuck speculating. And there's some all right names as you go farther down the board. Eugenio Suarez and Matt Chapman. And there, there's certain guys that you're going to be fairly comfortable with outside of that you know general consensus of the top 10 for our third baseman. But I wanted to get Austin Riley to ensure four category production. And I know that you know nothing's a guarantee. But with Austin Riley, we've seen him have very similar seasons these last couple of years. Now, last season, his batting average went down a little bit. I'm willing to to bank on the fact that it'll probably return, maybe not exactly back to 300, but I do think Austin Riley is closer to like a 280, 290 hitter as opposed to 270. And at that point, you're still getting a plus hitter. You're still getting a plus batting average. Uh, I do think that he can probably nudge that up a couple points. He was 273 last year, 303 the year prior. I think he'll nudge that up a little bit. Now, in terms of everything else he's given you, home runs, RBIs, runs, all elite, you're getting fantastic production, even though he's not going to steal you many bases, probably zero. He had two last year. I mean, maybe he gives you one steal. Maybe he gives you two steals, whatever. That's not why I'm drafting him. I'm getting a horrible position taken care of very early on. I'm getting 35 to 40 home runs. Let's call it 30 to 40 home runs, anywhere in that range. Close to 100 RBIs, close to 100 runs, good batting average. Overall, I'm very, very happy to have gotten Austin Riley in the second round. Third base, does suck. And I did take him over Rafael Devers as well. I've mentioned this before. <clears throat> They're very close. The projections are very close. I will take Riley because he is on a, a much better lineup. Like, truly, it is not even close how much better the Braves are, in my opinion, uh, than the Red Sox. So, Austin Riley gets a slight nudge there. I could have gone with Devers, but we went with Austin Riley here in the second round. <clears throat> Coming back in the third round, I took Josh Hader. <clears throat> and Josh Hader is somebody who has been a big target of mine. He's my number one reliever for this season. It's kind of surprised me that Devin Williams went ahead of him in the third round. I think that that was uh, the guy who took him, maybe anticipating a bit of a closer run before he was back up. Colossae and Diaz went late in the second, and then he took Williams middle of the third, pick nine in the third. I went with Hader because at that point, I don't want to miss out on one of my top guys. I probably could have waited a round or two and gotten Romano or I could have gotten Iglesias, maybe Ryan Presley. Hater is my number one. I love all the metrics that we're seeing on him so far. Uh, there's different pitching metrics as well that have been released on Fangraphs today. Uh, Eno Saris's pitching metrics and Cameron Grove's pitching bot, uh, the pitching stuff plus location plus all those are are on Fangraphs for you guys to check out. They're no longer behind the paywall at the Athletic. And you guys can just see for yourself how good Josh Hader is if you go and check those out. Josh Hader is absolutely elite. He had a horrible year last year because, I think, in large part due to some family problems that was going on. We talked about this a lot in our Relief Pitcher Preview our Rankings episode. Josh Hader, for me, very safe pick <clears throat> in the third round. I think that I would do that every single time. I think it was 41 overall, something like that. Forty. I think it was 41 overall with Josh Hader, and I'm very comfortable with that price for him. Now, in the fourth round, I did want to start looking at outfield, and I took Cedric Mullins. If Justin Mason is listening, I know he'd love that pick. That is his guy. Cedric Mullins, again, very safe draft pick. He is going to be at the top of what is, I think, going to be a very good lineup in Baltimore. Some people have talked about, you know, is it that good? I think it's maybe not as good as some people think it is, but it's still a very good lineup that should see Mullins at the top pretty much every single day. He'll he'll be the leadoff hitter when he's, when he's in the lineup. 156 games last year, 159 the year prior. In the production, even though the home runs went down a bit this past season, so the batting average, he still gave you 16 homers, 34 steals, 89 runs, 64 ribbies, a 258 batting average. You know, when you look at him overall, is it maybe maybe a little bit disappointing <clears throat> compared to 2021? Yes. 
but he was still one of the most elite fantasy players that there was, in large part due to those stolen bases, good run totals. And if you look at the projections for next season, they're calling for pretty much exactly the same kind of production, uh, with a couple more home runs added in, and depending on where you look, a couple more steals. Some of the projections, Steamer and the Bad X, 36-37 steals there. The worst projection for him for steals is 28. So you're getting that production, and that's something that I kind of missed out on in my first couple of rounds. Don't have a lot of speed, so that is another factor that played into it. I want to have that speed taken care of, and even though he doesn't do it in and of himself, it's just by himself, um, he's a good foundational piece for steals and also in a five-outfielder league. I think he makes for a very solid target here uh, in the fourth round. Somewhere in the mid-50s, I think Cedric Mullins is a really good bargain. Now, in the next round, in round five, I went for Zach Gallen. I did want to have an ace, even though I have Otani. <clears throat> I don't know how often I am going to end up using Otani, and I think it'll probably end up being three, four times throughout the season as a pitcher, probably, depending on what happens. If my pitching all goes to shit, then he'll probably have to be there more often than I would like, but I'm not intending on using Otani at the outset more than three, four times, maybe. I do want to have Zach Gallen as I'm not necessarily Zach Allen, but if you do take an Otani type in this kind of format, I do want to have another guy who I believe is an ace. And Zach Allen, he proved it to us down the stretch last season. I think it was 45 or 50 straight innings where he did not allow a run. His numbers at the end of the year were very pretty. He helped me win my home league and a couple other leagues that I had him in. He was fantastic. I had a lot of Diamondbacks on my home league team, and they helped me out a lot. I had Christian Walker. I had Dalton Varsho. I had Corbin Carroll, and I had Zach Gallen. <clears throat> and all of them, and you know, different different factors, different parts of the equation, but they all helped me uh, to winning that home league. Zach Gallen was a huge part of it, and I think that he is an ace still. Uh, I'm going to pull up my pitching rankings. I think he was 17th. Uh, 17th. I have Zach Gallen at 17. They might get tinkered a little bit. He might go up or down one or two spots, but I feel very comfortable having him just outside of that SP1 range in a 15-teamer. And I have that backup in case, you know, Otani does need to be used in my lineup for every week of the season. I still have Zach Gallen as my ace, and I'm pretty happy about that. A lot of people are pushing pitching down this year. By all means, I'll take Zach Gallen in the fifth round of a 15-teamer every day of the week. Now, this is my first pick coming up where I don't love it in hindsight. And part of it is because we did have Dave McDonald on from the Friends with Fantasy Benefits podcast. He was talking to us about the Guardians, and we were previewing that team last week, or was it this week? I'm getting my dates all mixed up. I think it was, God, I honestly don't even remember if it was this week or if it was last week. It was last week. God, eh, it, it was last week when we talked with Dave and he threw a little bit of cold water on my love for Jimenez. He doesn't think he's going to get back up to the 300 batting average range. And there's overall, you guys go back to listen to it and hear Dave's exact thoughts, but he wasn't, you know, uh, blown away by this pick of mine. And, you know, looking back on it, I did want to just take a second baseman here. Did I maybe take the wrong one? I don't think so, because after Jimenez, there's really not much to choose from. I'm just looking through the draft board here. And the next one after him, Glaber Torres. And then after him, it was Max Muncy, Von Grissom. There's not as much security in those other picks, in my opinion. Glaber's a pretty solid option. But I did want to have Jimenez, partly because I, you know, I don't have steals in those first couple of rounds. Jimenez should be able to give me 20 steals. All the projections... You know, the bad X, up, you know, like I said, they updated their steals projections today. He's up at 28 to go along with 16 home runs, a 265 batting average, decent counting stats. I'll take that. I won't have any problem taking that. And, you know, even though I'm not in love with the pick in retrospect, I think I'm pretty happy with it nonetheless. It might not pan out. It might. I just wanted to take care of another pretty scarce position in second base before the well really got too dry. Uh, but next up, in round seven, I took Tim Anderson. I'm pretty big on Tim Anderson this year. I know there's injury concern with him to some degree. I don't know if it's necessarily warranted, though, uh, if you look at you know his career. He missed half of this season, and he missed about 40 games in 2021. Other than that, for the most part, he's been pretty healthy. 123 games, 153, 146 games. He's kind of developing this injury-prone tag, and I don't know that it's necessarily justified. I've talked a lot about the White Sox, about how I am in on a lot of them this season, and I have another one coming up in a couple of rounds here. <clears throat> I think that he is as good of an option as you are going to find at shortstop in this range. You don't have to take one of the early ones. You can go for Tim Anderson. He is going to give you five-category production. The RBIs might not be the highest number, but the runs are going to be assuming health, and I mean, that's always a big if, um, but 
and that's a big if for anybody, really, not not for Tim Anderson, because I don't really buy into this injury-prone narrative. Uh, he's going to give you close to 100 runs. He's going to hit you 15 to 20 homers, probably going to have about 60 RBIs. I think the stolen bases will probably be about 20 for him, assuming, again, that he is healthy, and we know that he is going to bat 300. He is a 300 hitter. These last four seasons, it's been 335, 322, 309, 301. Different sample sizes, 123 games twice in there, 49 games and also 79 games in 2020 and 2022, respectively. It's all about the health. If he's able to stay healthy, I think he will smash through this projection. <clears throat> I was listening to the Indus League podcast the other day. They had uh, my guys Bubba and the Bloom on, and they were talking about Tim Anderson. And he, you know, I forget who made the point. It might have been Ryan Bloomfield, that, or maybe it was Welsh, <clears throat> that these guys, or that this guy right here, Tim Anderson, if he is healthy for a whole season, he's likely a first-round player. At the very worst, <clears throat> he's like a second-round player. And, guys, I have to excuse myself again because I, ho- I told you a couple days ago I was still a little bit sick, still got something in the throat. It's kind of been nagging me for a while, so apologize there uh, for any for any clearing of the throat. But Tim Anderson, I think he comes at the end of when you should be looking at shortstop here, like the end of the acceptable tier of shortstops. Because after him, it's not like it dries up immediately. You still got guys like Xander Bogarts, Carlos Correa. But for my personal preference... There's about 12 or so shortstops that I really want to have this season. He is one of them. He is absolutely one of them. And again, it all comes back to health, really. Um, But he is a top 10 shortstop for me. If he is in the lineup every single day, then he'll be close to a first-round player. Even if he misses 40, 50 games, I think that we're still going to see him return positive value on this draft slot. He's going in the seventh round. He's going around pick 100 a lot of the time, between like 85 and 100. I think that's an incredible range uh, for Tim Anderson. So I'm personally drafting him there a lot. I understand if there is, you know, a lot of people who don't want to draft him go with kind of a safer bet, you know, even like a Swanson who plays a lot or, you know, even a Bogarts or somebody like that. I would understand it. Willie Adamas, there's a lot of options in that range. But for me personally, I think Tim Anderson is probably my favorite. I took him over Pena. I took him over Adamas. I took him over Ahmed Rosario. I took him over Correa. Uh, he is the guy that I would be going for in that tier, and I got him. I'm very happy to have got him. Now, it got to the point here where I really wanted to take a catcher, and I did take a catcher, and it was Tyler Stevenson. I'm a big, big fan of Tyler Stevenson. You know, I I, I understand that he is not a five-category player. He is probably going to give you very good batting average. He's going to give you decent home runs. And then the runs and RBIs are probably going to be pretty good. I don't think they're going to be, you know, amazing. I'm thinking probably like 120 combined, 130 best case scenario probably. But you're getting great batting average. One of the few catchers, <clears throat> and I, <clears throat> I'm sorry guys, excuse me. I'm one of the few catchers who can hit 300. And we talked about this with Alejandro Kirk earlier in the off season. There's not many catchers who are able to hit 300. Stevenson does it with decent power. He's hit 10 home runs over 132 games in 2021. This past season, it was 50 games and six home runs. You know, you extrapolate that out, you're still looking at about a 15 home run season, and that's what the projections are calling for for Tyler Stevenson this year. Anywhere from about 12 to 16 home runs with a, a couple of steals and very good batting average. I don't know why they are projecting him to bat 260, 270, a lot of these projection systems. He's a career 296 hitter. I don't see that going away. Babips have been pretty high for him in his career. But we're not talking about a small sample size anymore, really. 600 plate appearances. I think that he is a pretty legitimate 300 hitter, you know, maybe 290, 285. But in that range, you're still getting a great batting average from catcher where you don't usually get that. Most catchers are not going to be even a neutral batting average contributor. They're going to be a negative. They are going to be taken away from you in that category. Stevenson is a plus there. He's a plus in home runs as far as I see it, or at least you know a pretty neutral to plus guy in home runs and the counting stats at this point for catcher. You're not going to get incredible catchers unless you really pay up for, in terms of, you know, I'm not talking about real life here, we're talking obviously fantasy, but you're not going to get that kind of elite production like a Varsho or a Real Mudo or even potentially Will Smith, Sal Perez, unless you pay up a first four or five round pick for them at worst. You know, Real Mudo a lot of the time going in the second, sometimes in the third. Varsho fell into the fourth in this draft, <clears throat> but a lot of the time he is going in the third round. And I don't really want to pay that steep price for a catcher when there are guys like Stevenson, like Cal Raleigh, like Alejandro Kirk, who are going a lot later. So I was very happy to get Stevenson as my first catcher. Next up, I took Clayton Kershaw. I wanted to have another solid arm. And again, 
it comes back to health. A lot of guys, and hell, that's what kind of the whole the whole point of this thing is at the end of the day is choosing healthy players. Uh, Kershaw, going into the year, he is healthy right now. Will he stay healthy? I don't know. He's probably going to give me 120 innings. And that's kind of what I'm banking on with Clayton Kershaw, the guys who are going in that range. I wasn't really in love with any of the, um, any of the other starters, and I did want to take a starting pitcher at this point. It was Lance Lynn. It was Chris Bassett, Freddie Peralta, Jordan Montgomery. I, I like all of them, and I like Lance Lynn quite a bit. But with Clayton Kershaw, you're getting the great team behind him, even though it's not as great as years past probably. You're getting great strikeouts. You're going to have great production, even if he's only out there 125, 130 innings. The projections calling for anywhere from 124 to 172 innings from him. I don't know that we're going to see 170. I'd obviously love to see 170, but I'm thinking we're probably going to get about 130 Kershaw innings where he has given you his classic great strikeout, low walk numbers, winning probably 12 to 13 games for that team. And of course, uh, the ratio darling that he always is. Even when he's not out there all the time, last year was a .94 ERA or .94 whip and a uh, 2.28 ERA. So even if he's only given me 120, 130 innings of that, I will take it. I will take him as my SP3, SP2, I guess, depending on how you want to look at it with Otani. Uh, but I, I very much do uh, like getting him in this range. Now, the next round, I took Paul Seawald, and I had a conundrum in this pick. I was going to go Seawald or Andres Munoz. And Andres Munoz went the pick before, so I went Paul Seawald. We talked about this on the Relief Pitcher Rankings episode. We talked about it with our friend Sam Wershing when we were previewing the Mariners. I think that Seawald is probably a little bit safer than Munoz in drafts. As much as I love Munoz, I'm kind of glad the situation was the, the choice was taken away from me because I don't know if I would have gone Munoz or not. The upside for him is really great. And the argument for Munoz is that he has value whether he's in the closer role or not. Where with Seawald, he needs to be the, the closer to have value. He doesn't have the same kind of strikeout numbers. They're still pretty good. But they don't have. He doesn't have that same kind of punch that Munoz does on a per inning basis. If he's not getting you saves, so I took Seawald here, and part of it was my conversation with Sam, where he was saying, you know, there's no reason for them to change up what they were doing last year, which was Seawald, the primary closer. Munoz had a handful of opportunities, but it was more so using him in the higher leverage spots, and that was what they were doing. It wasn't, you know, the ninth inning was necessarily going to go to either one of them, and I you know the save breakdown was mostly Seawald and then Munoz had a handful of them. They were using Munoz in those higher leverage situations as opposed to just using him in the ninth inning so he can get the save. I think it will be kind of similar stuff this season uh, with Paul Seawald. I do expect that he will probably get at least 20 to 25 saves in that range. <clears throat> I think at least 20 at the absolute minimum. He's given you still good strikeouts and good ratios. And I like pairing him with Josh Hader there because Hader is for sure going to be the closer in San Diego. There's no question about it. Pairing him with Seawald, I think between the two of them, I could have 60 saves. And I'm thinking at least 50. That is the baseline here. And then anything other than that, I think, would be would be gravy from them. But 30 to 35 for Hader and then about 20-ish from Seawald, I, I think that that's probably what's going to happen. And I'm very happy to get that taken care of in the first 10 rounds. Now, my next pick is another Chicago White Sox, Andrew Vaughn. I've talked about him a lot this offseason. One of my targets, again, not a fast guy, but he's helping you out in all the other four categories. He's going to hit for a good batting average. The home runs, I think he could probably get you 20 home runs. And I, I you know, maybe there's a little bit more power in there than that. So far, what we've seen is 15 and 17. The projections are calling from anywhere from 19 to 29. The fan graphs or the Zips depth chart projections, they take the Zips projections and they use fan graphs playing time. Even just the standard Zips projections are calling for 28 homers, 82 RBIs from him. Decent batting average at the worst. And I think that you know, best case scenario for him is probably about a 300 hitter. I really do think he can be a 300 hitter. He's shown us 271 this past season while playing out of position. I know some people don't want to hear that anymore with Andrew Vaughn, but he is a first baseman. He was not playing first base. He's listed as an outfielder on fan graphs, like just solely as an outfielder. And he is a first baseman. That is his natural position. Most of the time last year, he was in the outfielder DHing. He got in at first base 23 times. Very happy he has that eligibility to start off the year. <clears throat> but at the same time, you know, you have to remember, he has not been afforded the opportunity to just learn his own position and learn how to, to hit major league hitting. He has had to focus on a bunch of different things. Still last year, there was 17 homers, 76 ribbies, and a 271 average. Striking out only 17% of the time. 
There's a lot to like with Andrew Vaughn. You do get the first base outfield eligibility. You can put him wherever you like there. I'm going to be using him at first base for the most part, I think. Maybe there will be some weeks where he slides into the outfield. I did speculate on uh, one or two first basemen later on. But Andrew Vaughn, for me, should be the everyday first baseman in my lineup. I like pairing him with Tim Anderson. It's not necessarily you know your classic DFS stack, but I do like having one or two guys in the same lineup here and there. If they're good teams, I'm not trying to have a bunch of Pirates or a bunch of Nationals on my team this year. Although the Pirates might be a little bit better than we anticipate, I think, maybe. But uh, I do like having a couple guys, if they're you know, a couple of Astros, a couple of White Sox, a couple of Mets, a couple of Blue Jays. I'm there for that. I like having Andrew Vaughn where I got him in the 11th round, waited on first base, and I was successful in getting my target. In round 12, I took Grayson Rodriguez. He was going off the board. He kept getting more expensive, and I wanted to get him before somebody else took him. He's looked very, very good. I think that he will have a spot in the Orioles rotation to start the season. A lot of people have talked about how he should, and I think that he will. If he doesn't, I still think he will come up you know, fairly quickly. I don't think that they're going to let him sit around in the minors for a whole year. I think that the worst-case scenario, maybe it's – you know, a month in the minors, and even that's like I'm I'm not even expecting that. The different projections are all calling for 23, 24 starts. I think that he'll do that. Strikeout numbers should be very good, and I think the ERA and WHIP numbers should also be really, really exceptional. Projections are calling for all sub four ERAs across all of them. The lowest one being 366, the highest one being 398. Even if he gives me 398 ERA with you know. Probably all right win total, not anything crazy probably in Baltimore, but decent wins and a lot of strikeouts, which we are expecting. I'll take him here. There is a part of me that just wants to be in on the Grayson Rodriguez hype this year, and I I think I took him about in a reasonable spot. The minimum pick was 169. I took him at 170, so I did push it a little bit, but I do think here uh, Grayson Rodriguez does make sense in the 12th round of a 15-teamer around the 170 pick mark. You can maybe even get him a little bit later. Depending on your league mate's certainty that he will start the season in the big leagues, depends on how well you know your league. But I think that anywhere, you know, in the 160, 170, 180 range, I think you're probably not going to get hurt there. I think that that's probably a good range for him. Again, you could get hurt with anybody, but at that point, I'll take a chance on the upside of Grayson Rodriguez. Now, my next two rounds were outfielders. I went Jeff McNeil and Seiya Suzuki. Jeff McNeil gives me a batting average bump, and this team is going to be very strong batting average-wise. Looking up and down the lineup, that's something that unintentionally I did. Uh, You know, Otani, worst case, probably 260, 270. Riley, probably 270. Mullins, you know, he went from 290 to like 255. He's probably going to be somewhere in the middle there. Jimenez, you know, we talked about how it might come down a bit, but worst case, probably 260, 270. Anderson will be 300. Stevenson will be 300. Vaughn will be close to 300. Jeff McNeil, you know, coming off a batting title, will be at least 300. So I think my batting average is going to be something where I do prosper. Maybe I'm a little bit light on on power. Uh, you know, outside of those first couple of rounds, eh, I am probably should have taken more power. But Jeff McNeil does a lot that I like. I love the high batting average. I love that he doesn't hurt you anywhere. And that's kind of a common refrain for me when I'm drafting. I'd like to take players, generally, who don't hurt you anywhere. And Jeff McNeil, he'll throw in a couple of home runs. He'll throw in a couple of stolen bases. He's in a very good lineup in a solid RBI position. He's projected to be the number five hitter. So you could see 70 RBIs, 75 runs from him. You might get 150 runs in RBIs together. To go along with probably low double-digit homers, maybe you get nine or eight, but I think you're probably looking at ten. I think that's probably going to – between eight and ten is what he's probably going to give you. He is a career 307 hitter, and the projections for some reason calling for 278, 284, 280. He'll bat 300. You can you rest assured he'll bat 300. Uh, no question there for me. I was very happy to take him as a, like a lineup stabilizer, somebody like a true set and forget Jeff McNeil. He might not be the flashiest player, but at the end of the day, those are the kind of players that do win you leagues. Say a Suzuki, I took him here because the discount got to be to the point where it was too much. Like he went around, I picked 200, I think, 200 something. And I think at the time I did have the maximum pick on him. I think at this point for TGFBI, his max pick is about 230. But getting him at 200 when he's generally been going at pick 100 or in that range, 110, uh, that's, that's such a huge bargain for me at that point. You know, the oblique is troubling for sure. And he might end up missing more time than I am comfortable with for a league that does not have IL slots. 
But I'm willing to take that chance at this point, even though he might start the season on the injured list. It might be a week or two. It might be the first month. But at that price, I'll take it. I don't have any problem with him at pick 200. I would have taken him a little bit earlier for sure if he wasn't hurt. I would have taken him probably in the one in the 110, 120 range, and I would have been comfortable with it. And that's, you know, maybe it doesn't sound like much. You would have taken him at ADP, whatever. But he is somebody that, you know, there's not a lot of players. Oh, I guess it kind of varies case to case, but, you know, not everybody I am comfortable with drafting at the ADP. I would have taken him at ADP, and I'll take him at a 100-pick discount, even though there is some concern there for sure. Next up, Edward Cabrera in round 15. I'm hoping that Edward Cabrera can be this year's Dylan Cease. Is it hoping for a little bit too much? Yes, it probably is. But he has that same kind of profile. Great strikeout numbers. He just needs to control the walk rate. He's not pitching for a great team, so it might limit his win potential. But I think we're going to see pretty damn good ratios. I think we're going to see close to 10 strikeouts per nine innings, which would be, you know, probably somewhere close to 30% K rate. He's been a huge K rate guy throughout the minor leagues and in the major leagues last year, 25.8%. So he still carried that over. It did come with an 11.3% walk rate, which I'm hoping he gets down. But even if he doesn't, I I still think we could see a Dylan Cease-esque season. I don't think it'll be quite as good as Dylan Cease most likely, but can he give you like a mid-threes ERA with great strikeouts and probably, you know, the wins are going to hold you back a little bit, but I think it'll probably be like in the 8 to 10 range for him, assuming he meets his start uh, projections, which are about 24. I think that that's a, I think it's a very safe pick, Edward Cabrera. Uh, You know, at this point, I think a lot of picks are very safe after pick 200. You're just kind of shooting for the upside there. Edward Cabrera, the upside is massive. He could be a Cy Young winner at some point down the line, and it wouldn't shock me. Uh, He does have that in him, and if he does it this year, I'll be very happy about it. I think that the only real concern for me is the team context, and he's not going to win a lot of games for you most likely. Uh, It it really depends year in and year out. We saw Trevor Rogers a couple years ago when he broke out. I think he won seven games. We saw it wasn't so much of a problem for Alcantara last season, but we're not talking about a great team. We are talking about you know, a team that's probably going to be 500, best-case scenario, in that range. And that might even be pushing it a little bit. Uh, that might be the only place where I'm hesitant on Edward Cabrera. But I still think we're getting great strikeouts. We're getting great ratios. And I think it's a great price to pay for him here. And I got him in round 15. Uh, I think that I would do it again in a heartbeat. Next up, Masataka Yoshida. I took another Japanese outfielder. And I think at this point for him, I was also very close to setting the max pick. Um, it was round 16 of a 15 team league. Again, my mental math is always shit, but it was like pick 230 something for Yoshida. At that rate, is he going to be able to possibly hurt you? I don't think so. The projections, all very good. <clears throat> and this is something that's been talked about quite a bit. The projections for him, all are accounting for 120, 121 games played. And they're calling for 19 home runs. They're calling for 140 runs in RBIs with a handful of steals and a 300 batting average for the most part. The lowest projection for batting average is 283. And that does come from the bat X, which is one of the more reputable ones. But, you know, if that's the worst case projection at 283, I mean, the best case one is 305. And I think that we'll probably see somewhere between those. I think 290 is probably what we're going to get from him. The thing for me with Yoshida is these projections are over the course of 120 games. If he does play closer to 140, 150 games, we'll likely see upwards of 20 home runs. We might see five to seven steals, and that batting average should still be about 300. At this rate, at this price, you know, I was kind of deficient on my outfielders. I took Mullins in the fourth round, and then I didn't take another outfielder until Jeff McNeil, which was round, what was it, 14? 13. So I kind of needed to start stacking outfielders at this point. And Yoshida, like, I couldn't believe he was still available to me. Jared Kelenic went ahead of him. Uh, who else went ahead of him? J.D. Martinez, you know, uh, Alex Verdugo, his teammate, Mitch Haniger. Like, for me, Yoshida, even though there's unknowns coming from Japan, we don't know exactly how their game is going to translate. That price is so reasonable at that point. Round 16, you're going to drop most of your players that you pick after, pick 200 anyway. With Yoshida, there is true, I think, like top 75 overall player upside. So very happy to have taken him there in round 16. In round 17, I took another relief pitcher. I took another closer, and that's Alex Lang. And again, my conversations, my team previews have helped my own understanding of the player pool and these teams. So that's part of the reason why I've done it as well. But looking back on the Tigers and talking about uh, the Tigers like I did a couple weeks ago with Paul Sporer, you guys should definitely go check that out. It's my pinned tweet on Twitter if you want to go watch it live as well, or not live, but watch the video. 
Alex Lang is pretty much the only closer viable option that Detroit has left. He fits that build of a high strikeout, maybe a little bit too wild guy who is going to give you probably very good ratios. Last season, it was a 341 ERA. He gave you a 1.23 whip, which is a little on the higher side. But at this point in the draft, there's no closers left. There's really, I mean, was there any other guy who was projected to be a closer at this point left? I don't think so. I, I Let me just take a quick look. No, I don't think so. I mean, Jason Adam, who's going to be in a committee, Kendall Graveman went after him, so I guess that's somebody who probably will be a closer. But at this rate, you're getting Alex Lang in the 17th round. It was about 250-some-odd overall. He's going to give you great strikeouts. He is going to be that primary closer, and the different projections have him for over 20 saves. All of them have him for at least 21 with as high as 22 saves from Zips. And at that point, I think I've taken care of saves pretty admirably with Hayter, Seawald, and Lang at that point. And I'm not quite done with closers. There's one more that I took later on, actually. I forgot. Kind of like a spec uh, platoon-ish kind of closer. But between Lang and Seawald and Hayter, I'm looking at 75 saves. At least 75 saves and probably more. So I have a very strong base. That's like, I don't want to say it's competing for overall territory at that point, but when you factor in the guy that I got later on, who will probably add in a few more. Uh, it obviously depends on if you start them or not. And, it, you know, guys that you're drafting after around 20, maybe you start them, maybe you don't, depending on the guy. Uh, but I think I have a very strong foundation of saves here with the three guys that I have. And it'll just get a little bit more solid probably as we go through fab. There'll be different closers that will pop up and we might end up taking a look um, at some guys in fab throughout the season, depending on how my guys perform. But I'm very happy to be through 17 rounds at this point with three closers. Uh, I'm very happy in myself there. Logan O'Hoppy is the next round pick that I have around 18. He is somebody who is a little bit interesting. We talked about him yesterday as well. Uh, talking about the Angels, maybe he doesn't start the year in the major leagues. There's been some people who have talked about that. I personally think that he will. Uh, they should give him. They should give him run. And at this point, I, I'm I'm honestly a little bit confused as to whether or not they will. Which is kind of why this pick for me might not be the you know might not be my favorite at the end of the day. I probably should have taken somebody who is a little more secured in their playing time but I still think he'll start. Max Stassi shouldn't really be the guy that holds up a guy like Logan O'Hoppy from getting into big league games. Good home run numbers. He can steal a couple bases. He hits for a good batting average. I think his defense, uh, they don't really have defensive, uh, I don't think they have many defensive stats from the minor leagues that are available here publicly. I think, you know, Max Stassi is a good defensive catcher. O'Hoppy's probably not there yet in terms of game calling skills, but I, I think that the Angels will give him a chance to at least play most of the time. You know, the projections, 80, 75 to 86 games with as high as 109 in there as well. I think that we'll see that on the higher side of the projection. I don't usually agree with the Zips projections a lot, but I think that we will see closer to like 100, 110 games from him as opposed to 70 or 80. Worst case scenario projection for him, 78 games, 11 homers, 43 ribbies, two steals, and a 243 batting average. They think his average will come down it'll probably come down a little bit, but historically minor leagues, he's been a guy who hits over 300 most of the time. You can look at some small stops that he's had in certain places, six games here, one where he batted 190 in AAA, but only six games for the most part when he's given a good solid sample size somewhere, whether it's AA, AAA, wherever, he's usually producing at a high clip for batting average. So I personally, even though there is some risk there, I'm I'm pretty happy with myself to have Ohapi as my second catcher. Even though, like in a perfect world, I probably would have taken somebody who I'm a little bit more sure of playing time, but I would have had to spend a draft pick three or four rounds ahead because you know the guys going in this range for catchers. Christian Vasquez went a few picks before. Uh, that's kind of it for a little while. Christian Betancourt. Uh, Nick Fortes, Bo Naylor went a few rounds later. But at that point, you're really, truly speculating with a hoppy. I actually expect that he will get the majority of the playing time, or at least, like, I don't mean majority is technically over 50%, but at least, like, 55% of the playing time, I think that he should get anyway. He won't be able to get many DH at-bats. They'll be pretty much all Otani, but I think he'll slot in behind the plate at least four times a week. That would be my expectation for a hoppy. 
Now, moving on to the next round. Again, I needed an outfielder here, even though I have one, two, three at this point, which is you know, probably not the greatest situation to be in. Actually, no, I have four. Sorry, I have Mullins, I have McNeil, Suzuki, and Yoshida. But, I mean, Suzuki, he's going to be out for probably a couple weeks, maybe a month. So I do need to have a couple of reserve round outfielders. This guy will be my fifth outfielder once everybody's healthy. That's Jake Fraley. Jake Fraley could... You know, he had very good stretches over these last couple of seasons, especially last year. There was a time where he was very hot. He ended up the year, even though he only played 68 games, he had 12 homers, he had four steals, he batted 259. He's the projected leadoff hitter in this lineup for the Angels. And at that point, or excuse me, not the Angels, um, still on a hoppy mode. He's the projected leadoff hitter for the Cincinnati Reds. Even though it's not a great team, oh, they've actually moved that around since yesterday when I looked at it. Now he's projected about fifth. So what the hell are we doing here? I mean, even if he's batting fifth, I'm still okay with it. India, Stevenson, Votto, and Myers right ahead of him. Spencer Steer, TJ Friedel, Kevin Newman, Nick Senzel. Uh, I don't know. Maybe he does bat fifth. Even at that rate, it's kind of different than what I was anticipating when I drafted him. Probably a few more RBIs than runs. But Jake Fraley has shown decent power. He has shown good speed at the major league level. He sold 10 bases in 2021 over 78 games. And the projections this year, I think, are very good for him. 112 games from the bad X calling for 12 homers, 16 steals, and a 242 average. If you look at ATC, 16 homers, 11 steals, and a 242 average as well. He's going to give you, at the very bare minimum, 10 home runs and 10 steals with an all-right batting average. Not going to be a great batting average for sure, but he's not going to kill you necessarily, especially in the modern-day baseball world of 210 batting averages, 220 batting averages. I can't remember what the league average was at the end of last season, but I want to say 240-ish. So even if Fraley is giving you 250, 260, slight bump up from the average with above-average stolen bases, you know, the RBIs and runs, that might fluctuate based on <clears throat> based on where he is in the lineup, but I think you're talking about at least 110, 120 of them to go along with double-digit homers and steals. There's a lot worse you could do for your fifth outfielder as far as I see it. So Jake Fraley there for me in round 19, I'm pretty comfortable with that. Round 20... I'm noticing at this point that I was a little bit light on starting pitching, and it's still it's something I'm going to be a little bit behind the eight ball this year in this league. I'm going to have to stream pitching in quite a bit. Uh, but I took Ross Stripling. Ross Stripling, I've talked about him a lot as being one of my guys. He was fantastic last season. Ross Stripling was, at times, the best pitcher on the Blue Jays last year, and he even had a save at the end of the season as well, which I just, I just love looking at that for your Roto League. Just add in one more save. It's beautiful. Even if you're head-to-head leagues, you might have had Ross Stripling give you a save and give you the win that week. Going to San Francisco, I think we'll only do wonders for him as much as I hate to see him out of Toronto. I would have loved him as the fifth starter this year ahead of Kikuchi. Kikuchi looks pretty good, but I would have preferred Stripling. He looked great last season. He is a former all-star with the Dodgers, so it's not like he just came out of nowhere. Uh, And his pitch mix, we talked about this a lot. I wrote an article about it last year, talked about it on podcast. His pitch mix was fairly similar last season to what he did in his all-star year in 2019. I think, even though he probably won't be an all-star again, going to a destination like San Francisco that is so good at developing pitching, and more so than developing pitching, taking older guys who are coming in on one, two-year contracts and just rejuvenating their careers. You know, Carlos Rodon went there, and he got even better than he was in Chicago. Alex Cobb, Alex Wood, Desclafani uh, from a year prior. There's, there's so many different names, and I'm, I'm missing a bunch for sure. Uh, but Desclafani is one I'd forgotten about. But 2021, Desclafani was you know, close to a league winner at that point. I think Ross Stripling can be something similar. You know, Somebody you're not really looking at in drafts, your standard 10, 12-team league drafts as somebody that is a huge target for you. But with your last pick, or as a very high, high-level streamer at least, I think Stripling can have a lot of fantasy value this year, and he is very reasonably priced going in round 20 here, but 15-teamer. Like, you're getting him typically around pick 300. I got him, I think it was, that was just about where it was exactly, pick 300. Very happy with that. I will happily take Ross Stripling into the year. And, you know, this is a 15-team league. It's not a 10 or a 12, so you have to have a bit, a few more players on your roster than you probably would if you're just used to 10 or 12-team leagues. Some guys that might not fit in those formats, and maybe Stripling doesn't fit in a 10. I think he fits in a 12, and I think he is for sure a must-start guy in 15-team leagues. Now, Luis Renjifo. This is another boo-boo I made here in round 21. Probably not somebody that I should have taken. I'm not sure how, how the role is going to work for him. I didn't realize I had three angels on my team. I don't know where exactly the playing time is going to come from for him. 
Uh, I think that he is going to be somebody that is kind of like a, not a platoon necessarily, uh, but he'll be somebody who's kind of like a utility player. Last year, he played second, third, short, right, and left. He won't have probably an everyday spot in the lineup, which is, I, I probably screwed up in taking him. In all honesty, if I could go back and do this again, I don't know that I would take Luis Renjifo. Looking at guys who went after him, I probably would go with like an Oswaldo Cabrera, uh, Christian Betancourt even who went after. Uh, Alex Kirilov is interesting. You know, Ricky Tiedemann I could have gone for. There's some there's some names that I that I could and probably should have taken over Renjifo. That being said, though, the projections are calling for about 100 games, double-digit homers and steals from him, uh, all right batting average. I'll take that, even if it's not my ideal pick. It's another angel in the lineup. So, you know, there'll be days where that'll look very good, and there'll be days where it'll look awful. Um, but I do think Renjifo, in general, uh, he's he's not somebody that I'd be interested in in your, in your regular 12-team leagues. For me, he's a deeper league guy. I'm hoping for playing time here. It's that's not a, a safe pick by any means. This is a pick where I'm hoping it pans out. But at this point in your draft, you know, you're talking after pick 300, you're kind of just taking shots in the dark. And, you know, maybe it works out, maybe it doesn't. But you're going to regret a couple picks in the draft, especially in a slow draft, oh, especially in any draft, really. But I'm looking back on it, probably wouldn't take Renhifo, but I don't think it's the end of the world either here in round 21. Eduardo Escobar is who I took in round 22. I did want to have uh, a corner infielder guy, corner infield eligible guy that I was I was kind of lacking on to this point in the draft. I had, you know, earlier on, I took Austin Riley, and then that was kind of it for my corner infield guys. I guess, you know, Andrew Vaughn, if I wanted to use him like that, but that's not really what my goal is. Eduardo Escobar, I think he's kind of being overlooked a little bit in draft season this year. He is a guy who is consistently a 20 home run guy, Good counting stats should come in that lineup, and you're also looking at probably you know an all right batting average. I don't think it's going to be amazing, but 240, 250 again, and I've already got good batting average earlier in the draft, so I'm not really so worried about that. Last season, 20 homers. The year before, 28. The year before that, 35, 23, 21. You know he's 34 years old now, but he is in a good, li- a great lineup really, where he should be able to give you something similar again between 17 and 20 homers in terms of runs and RBIs combined. Probably 130, 120 in that kind of range. And again, the batting average, it's not going to be a huge asset for you and for me in particular here. But I've taken care of that earlier on, so I'm not really so worried if he brings my average down a couple of points there. I think it's I think it's totally fine. Uh, and I did need a corner infielder. Again, little mini stack there with him and Jeff McNeil in terms of a couple of Mets players. Overall, I'm pretty happy with that pick of Eduardo Escobar. Now, round 23 is where I took my other relief pitcher closer type. That was Dylan Floro. Dylan Floro, I don't know exactly what the Marlins are going to do. There is still talk that maybe it'll be him. Maybe it'll be, I think, Matt Barnes or Tanner Scott. There is a couple of options there, but I think Dylan Floro is probably the most likely to get the save opportunities here, at least to start the year. Uh, He is the guy projected for the most saves. And again, it's not like a crazy number of saves he's projected for. But depending on where you look, it's either 12 or 15, or 17 saves from Zips. At this point of the draft, for me, I don't care if it pans out or not, really. I hope it does. I think my closer situation is is pretty solid at this point already, and I don't need to really worry about it. But if he does turn into the closer, then that's just a huge value pick for me. I've already taken care of saves, I think, pretty well. I think in terms of the overall standings, I'll be right up there in terms of saves. Assuming all goes according to plan, Hayter, Seawald, Floro, and Alex Lang... I think between the four of them, I'm honestly going to be closing in on 100 saves. And then you factor in different streamers that will pop up throughout the season, some guys that I might bid on in fab. You know, I think 100 saves is going to happen here. And maybe that's too many. Maybe I don't need that many. I think that I think at that point, where I am, where who was available on the board to me, I'm pretty happy with it. The only kind of thing that I'm looking at is maybe I screwed up a little bit is Ricky Tiedemann. And I, I want Ricky Tiedemann, but at the same time, He's not going to start the season in the big leagues. That is pretty much a guarantee. Uh, as somebody who follows the Blue Jays pretty closely, I'd be very surprised if he does start the year with the big league club. He'll be somebody that, for a lot of people, I think will be a fab pickup, and maybe people will stash him, get sick of him after a couple weeks, and then drop him. I think that that is more likely to happen than not. I'm still kind of pissed at myself for not taking him because I do want, I do have that fear of missing out on these on these prospects and. Maybe I shouldn't because he's not going to be up to begin the year anyway. And I've got Grayson Rodriguez, so I don't really need to worry about, you know, the missing out on prospects part of it. But I do I do wish that I had Tiedemann. But with all that being said, though, 
I think Floro is going to get the majority of the save opportunities. Even if it's only 15, I don't need another 30 save guy at this point of the draft to really help out my closer situation. So Dylan Floro is the guy that I went with here in round 23. In round 24, I went with Kenta Maeda. Kenta Maeda is, is a tricky one. He didn't pitch at all last season. We don't know exactly what he is going to look like. And there were times when he did last pitch in 2021 where it was not very good. It was a 466 ERA. I drafted him that year in a couple of teams, or maybe just one team actually that year. And he was brutal. Like, absolutely brutal, no question. He is somebody that is definitely a wild card. But at the same time, I think at this price, I'm willing to buy in. My pitching, my starting pitching was a little bit on the lighter side. He didn't pitch last year, so people are kind of just forgetting about him. But, you know, historically, still a very good strikeout pitcher, somebody who has been pretty good with your with your ratios. Again, not looking at 2021 because that was a bad year for him where he did get injured part of the way through, or at the end of the year anyway, I think he got injured. It wasn't like halfway through, but part of the way through the year he got hurt. I think that he'll regain his spot in the rotation. And will it happen to start the year? We haven't done our Twins preview, so let me take a look at the Twins depth chart and see if they currently have him slotted in the rotation. I think that he probably is like the fifth starter. It wouldn't shock me if he was not listed there at this point. But I think that likely, well, let me take a look here. Let me take a look at what they're saying. Uh, he is slotted in as the fifth starter, so the, he, he should be starting that season in the rotation. It looks like a very good rotation, as a side note. Pablo Lopez, Sonny Gray, Joe Ryan, Tyler Molly, and Kenta Maeda. They have remade that rotation. It looks very good. Kenta Maeda... Kind of like an afterthought, but I think that, you know, if this pick does hit, I'll be looking very good uh, if he does get to like 140 innings or so. Every pick at this point, guys, is pretty much a wild card. You are going to drop a vast majority of the players you take after round 20. So at this point, I'm hoping for the best with Maeda. If he does get back to what he was before the injury, before 2021, then I've struck gold. If not, then I'll drop him and it's no harm, no foul really at this point of the draft. Next round, we're talking round 25. I took Michael Brantley, and I have a good few shares of Michael Brantley this season. They've said, and he's currently away from the team for a, a personal matter. It's some kind of family matter, but it's not an injury. He won't need to like ramp up when he gets back. Presumably so. He should be fine. Um, but as of right now, he's going well after pick 300 a lot of the time, and I think it does come down to the fact that he didn't play a lot last season. He played 64 games. He's getting on the older side. All the reports have been that he will bat second again this year for the Astros. That's all you need to hear at this point of the draft to take a shot on Michael Brantley. Because if he does bat second, and even if he plays 100 games, you're getting a handful of home runs, which are not going to be you know mind-blowing, but he'll be a great run producer. He should have decent RBI opportunities there as well. And he is one of the best contact hitters in baseball. The career strikeout rate is 10%. The guy knows how to get on base. He knows how to hit for average. Career batting average of 298. At that point, you know, there's not many other outfielders at this point who are going to have a regular playing time. There's probably none who are going to have regular playing time at the top of a great lineup. It's, it's At this point of the draft, there's nobody else like Michael Brantley who can do what he does exactly. In that lineup, you could see close to 100 runs if he's healthy. And I'm not going to go out there and predict that because yeah, it's, he's never done 100 runs before. You're probably going to see like 70 to 80. But that is the upside of having the number two hitter on arguably probably the best lineup in all of baseball that's pretty much the end of the argument there for me i don't need to justify it to myself too much farther i love the pick here i took him in another draft champions league as well people are discounting him and i understand it he's older he was hurt last year but i think we've discounted him a little bit too far so michael brantley as a last couple round pick here in a 30 round draft i love it i think that there's not much wrong you could do with it now, these next couple of picks here, kind of a couple of older guys that I'm just hoping for the best on, and we've talked about them a lot this offseason. Probably not going to be massive surprises. Jimer Candelario. We talked about him when we did our Nationals preview last week. He's getting out of Comerica. He's going to a ballpark that is much better for hitting. And Granted, you know you don't need to go to a hitter-friendly ballpark after you leave Comerica for it to have a positive impact. You need to go pretty much anywhere else. Last season, not the greatest for him. 2021 was a lot better. I'm hoping we can see something closer to 2021 in a new environment where he's given you, you know, probably 15 to 20 home runs. Uh, best case scenario, probably a little over 20 home runs. He gave you 19 of them in 2018. 
in that horrible ballpark in Detroit. So I do think that 20 home runs is there. Again, he's not an old guy by any means here. He's just turned 29 years old. He's not past it or anything. The Tigers just kind of gave up on him. But he's going to be in a solid lineup spot, probably in the three or four spot for the Nationals. Should have decent RBI totals, even though, you know, it's not a great team. It won't be crazy RBI totals, but 60 to 70 to go along with probably 55 to 65 runs. I think the home run should be, like I said, 15 to 20. He won't steal for you. But I think the batting average is going to be a bit of a wild card there because we have seen him put up 283 in the past. We've seen him go 297. We've seen him go 271. Last year was a horrible BABIP year for him at 257, which resulted in a 217 batting average. But I do think he'll get back up to where the projections are calling, about 245, maybe in the 250 range. And everything else that he's going to give you, I think, should be gravy at this point in the draft, especially at a position like third base that is awful. It is awful, and he is my primary backup third baseman here. I guess Eduardo Escobar, but he'll be slotted into like a, a corner spot. Candelario is not somebody that I think I'm going to be starting that often, but I do think there is a lot of upside in the pick as well. Even though he is somebody that was kind of given up on, he's playing for a bad team, I think that he could be a sneaky, really good value here where he's going in round 26. Round 27, I took Carlos Santana. I've talked about Carlos Santana a lot this offseason. Matt Williams, when he was on the show, put it in my head, uh, talking about the shift stuff. And, of course, like we, we knew that before, but Matt was really talking about how Carlos Santana was a huge target of his later on in drafts. And I have to agree, you know, the home runs have always been there. You should be getting at least, you know, 18, 20 home runs out of Carlos Santana. These last two seasons, 19 and 19, I don't see why he can't do that again. 2019, it was 34. Before that, it was 24, 23, 34, 19, 27. He's always been a power guy. No reason to think that that is going to suddenly disappear. ISO was very good last year, or, you know, relatively speaking, at 174. It was, it was a very good ISO. The runs and RBIs, probably not going to be great, but I think he will play every single day. Considering the money that Pittsburgh gave him, a whopping $6.725 million, big contract for them. He will play almost every day, even as like a mentor-type guy in that locker room. He'll be, he'll be out there. He'll be out there at least, I'm going to say, 130 times, which is what he did last year. And he should be able to duplicate his numbers from last year with the exception that his batting average should be a lot higher. Without the shift, Carlos Santana has a potential to bat, I think, 240, 230 probably is more realistic. But the highest projection for him, Steamer has him at 238. Some of them have him 224. You know, it kind of varies a little bit, but the batting average for sure will be better than 202. Everything else should be pretty similar to last year. So I, for me, there's no reason at all to be avoiding Carlos Santana. He is a great later-round target pick for me in drafts. I love what he is able to do, especially if you're in an OBP league. If you're in an OBP league, then he is going to be somebody that probably should be drafted even higher than this because he is somebody who historically who has like, stupid high walk rates. For the career, his walk rate is 15.2%. Absolutely elite, only 16% strikeout rate, 16 and a half, I guess. But that's elite. That is beyond elite what you're getting at that point in terms of the in terms of that particular metric. I'm not saying that he is an elite player, but in terms of the production that he's going to give you from his draft price, 20-ish home runs, 120-some-odd runs in RBIs, at a corner infield position, I think that there is a lot to be – there's a lot to like about Carlos Santana, specifically at this price – uh, I, I'm going to have a couple more shares before draft season is fully done. Now, my last pick that I've made, and that's round 28, and this draft is still ongoing, but it's been ongoing for two weeks, and I, I'm, I'm sick of it at this point, to be honest with you. It's, it's taken too long for one draft to take, to take place, and there's a couple of people, a couple of individuals who are responsible for that timing out the clock. We won't get into that, but you know, this is kind of the end of the road for the draft here for me. The last two round picks, which will be 431 and 440 overall, will be total speculative players i'm not sure exactly who i'm going to take yet guys who might have you know guys who are like ellie de la cruz who might be called up later on in the season or you know have a path to playing time that won't take too long because this is a fab league you can make you can make ads and drops it's not a draft champions or a draft and hold format i can make moves throughout the season but i do want to speculate a little bit and the first guy that i really speculated on was ellie de la cruz he is going to be very very good he is projected to be up in the majors at some point this season if you look at what he's done in the minor leagues, and you just look at last year again, he hasn't played above double A, so you have to take that into account. But in double A last season, eight home runs, 19 stolen bases, he batted 305. That was 47 games. 73 games at high A, 20 home runs, 28 stolen bases, he batted 302. Now he's striking out way too much. 
way too much at those levels of the minor leagues. That is a huge concern, like over 30%. But I do think in terms of the overall value he's going to give you with the power and the speed and the good batting average, it doesn't really matter so much. Even if he's striking out 28, 30, 35%, call it, for a fantasy point of view, it might impact you know his timeline. The team might keep him down longer. But in terms of what he'll actually do for you on the field, in terms of the home runs and the stolen bases he'll give you, like the projections, a lot of them are only calling for about 45 games. Even in those 45 games, they're calling for like six home runs and eight stolen bases. The one projection system that's calling for like closer to a full season, which is Zips, which projects kind of everybody for a full season. Uh, that's the way their projections work. It's if a guy were to be in the bigs the whole year. They're calling for 115 games from him, 16 homers, 20 stolen bases, and the 252 batting average. At this point in the draft, I'm more than happy to take a chance on Dela Cruz. If we get to two, three weeks in, a month in, he's still not been called up, then maybe you think about dropping him. You check out the minor league stats and see – you know, is he progressing? Is that K rate going down a little bit? Is he doing well? Is he in AAA? What's going on? Where, where, where is he? What's the situation? You evaluate that at that point, and if it's still looking like shit, then maybe you drop him. But at this point, before the season starts, I think that he is a great guy to speculate on in, you know, around 28, 29, and 30. He's not somebody I'd be shooting up draft boards because we don't even know exactly when he's going to get called up or if he spends, you know, if he's a September call-up or if he's a March, April call-up. Like, we don't really know yet. But at this price, I'm, I'm more than willing to speculate. Odds are he's not going to be called up in the first month of the year. He'll probably take a little bit more time. But, you know, if I'm setting my lineup with him on the bench two, three, four times at the beginning of the year, I don't really care about that. That's, that's totally acceptable for me at that rate. Now, my last couple of picks will probably be pitchers. Probably get a little bit more pitching depth if I can. And let me just take a quick look here at who's like available to me still. And maybe I'll just talk briefly here about some guys that I might target as we keep going. Uh, just pulling up the the page here to see who is still available. Eight picks until my turn. God, slow drafts are awful. If you guys are not familiar with slow drafts, there's no need to be familiar with slow drafts. They are brutal. Um, but anyway, <laughs> looking through who I have available to me here, I could speculate on another closer. I could go for a roll this Chapman. Eh, maybe I will. And in terms of the other starters available or other pitchers available, there's not much that I love here. I mean, David Peterson is still available. I might go with Chapman, honestly. The more I look at it, I might end up going with Chapman. I hope nobody in my league is listening to this. Uh, maybe I'll delay an hour or two before releasing it. Uh, Luis Ortiz is also there. Drew Smiley, Nick Martinez. Uh, man, there's really not much. Spencer Turnbull is kind of interesting. I'll put him in my queue because I've, I've liked Spencer Turnbull quite a bit. Um, but, man, uh, it really does dry up at this point of the draft for you in terms of anything, really. There's nobody that at this point in the draft that you're taking – that you're feeling very good about. Um, but, you know, we'll, we'll figure it out. Maybe we'll speculate on some speed. Bubba Thompson is still there. Uh, there's a couple of upside plays. Kerry Carpenter is an interesting one as well in Detroit. Andy Rodriguez for Pittsburgh. There's a couple of interesting names for me to speculate on here in the last round or two of this draft. But, guys, I've kept you long enough talking about my draft. I'm not sure if anybody gives a shit. But I do want to talk through my process, even though this is not some high-stakes league. This is an industry league with other industry writers and podcasters and people who talk fantasy baseball. And I do want to share my thoughts, where I'm drafting players, why I'm drafting players, and maybe some of you guys will take something out of it. So I do hope that you have enjoyed. I hope that you've enjoyed all the shows that we've done. And officially today, I didn't even realize, but today is the day that our first ever podcast was posted on the channel. It was our first demo podcast, which... You can go back and listen to if you really like. I've debated taking it off the channel because it's just it's it's tough. My first couple podcasts while I was still getting the groove of things, uh, it's, I cannot personally go back and listen to it. But it's been a year. March twenty third was the day when I actually started going every single day, and we have not missed a day a weekday since then. Uh, very proud of that number. But thank you guys. Thank you for. I wouldn't hit this number if it wasn't for all you guys downloading, following on Twitter, liking posts, sharing posts out. So all of that support very much appreciated. If you guys want to subscribe to the podcast and let us know what you think in the ratings and review section, that would be the ideal thing for you guys to do right now. Hit the plus button or the subscribe button or whatever it is on your app. Take a minute or two, 30 seconds, a minute, and let me know what you think of the show, whether there's things that you want me to cut out, things you want me to add in, certain people you want to hear from, certain metrics you want to hear about. Let me know. I'm always open to feedback, whether it's in the comments section of the actual podcast feed or whether it's on Twitter. You guys can hit me up, as always, at JoeOrico99. 
The Ethos Fantasy BB page is there for you guys to follow as well. That's where all of our new content is released from. These podcasts, Britton Allen's It's Gone podcast, which are fantastic, by the way. If you guys have not been listening to Britton Allen's new show, It's Gone, also on the Sports Ethos Podcast Network, also available in the Ethos Fantasy BB feed. You guys are missing out because Britton is doing great stuff. He's brought on a couple of great guests so far, and those are going to just keep coming. So definitely make sure you're subscribing to his feed as well. You guys just need to go follow Ethos Fantasy BB. I've been, I've been beating the dead horse for a while now. That's where all of our content comes out from. We're very proud of all the stuff we have put together this offseason, and we will continue to do that throughout the regular season as well. So make sure you're following there. Make sure you are supporting Britain in his podcast. And if you're supporting this podcast, I would very much appreciate it as well. Hit us with a five-star. Let us know what you think. And we will see you guys on Monday. We will continue doing the team previews. We'll get them out of the way next week. And then we got some fun. We got some fun coming up over the next couple of weeks. Ariel Cohen is going to join us. He is the creator of the ATC projections. We're going to talk with him about different projections. We, I'm still figuring out exactly the sheet for that show, but we are going to talk about maybe some risers and fallers in his projections, how the shift will impact it, how the stolen base numbers will impact or stolen base rules will impact that. Uh, we got We have a lot of fun stuff. Alex Fast is going to be here talking pitching with us over the next couple of weeks. And... We have a very exciting ADP battle episode planned with Michael Govier and Scott Bogman of In This League. That's going to be very fun between the two of them. I wanted to get two very fun personalities together uh, and give them both a player and let them fight about it, and I'll just be here to moderate them. Very fun times upcoming on the show, so make sure you guys are checking it out here like you already have today, which I really do appreciate. But guys, enough rambling out of me. I'll let you guys enjoy your weekend. We will see you on Monday, but until then, take care, stay safe, and cheers, everybody. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.